June the 24th. I'm Chris and this is The Future of Photography. The Future of Photography. <coughs> It's us. We're back. All the three Hello. of us. <laughs> Hello. Adrian, Jeremiah, how are you guys doing? Good. A little tired, but good. <laughs> <laughs> you had a night shift, didn't you? Yeah. Wrapped about, I don't know, six hours ago, something like oh, that. Seven dude. hours ago and um, finished the season. So... Oh, happy. We're, that's good. Well done. Yeah. Yes. So that that well. is the that is the second season of uh, Reginald the Vampire. Reginald the Vampire. All right. Awesome. 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 So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll still we'll still see how how awake we all are, um, and talk about some news items today on the show. A little it's news a, reel. Yeah, it's a news day. And uh, I've brought. Okay. Let me see. Um, Actually, have to open this here. Uh, this this one, uh, Jeremiah, is is probably going to be a bit of a I don't know walk down memory lane. Um, there's a camera on sale right now or on auction, which is a matte camera. So um, mm. it's a camera that was used on Blade Runner and Batman Returns and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and it's it's this wild contraption that has like six film magazines and it does weird things. Um have you have you in in your in your film career have you worked with matte paintings and yeah. multiple exposures on the same piece of film and so on? I don't I have it worked with multiple exposures on the same film. However, I have worked with matte paintings early, early days um, in my career. Um, so maybe maybe for explanation, what is a matte painting? A matte painting is if you if you want to show something that's that's too hard to build, like let's say a huge hanger with uh, stuff in it, and you need you need that in the background or sometimes in the foreground. Yeah. You would have a you would have a, a, a piece of glass with that painted on, and then film through that, and pretty much replace parts of the set by a painting. Yeah, the, these are uh, cameras that were used not for super early uh, effects, but but have been used probably through the you know, late seventies, early eighties before. Um, before green screen became very widely adopted, and now you know we have the volume volumetric filmmaking, which is replacing green screen. But before that, we used to um, get uh, cameras, and there, there's a couple of approaches here. One is uh, called the Schuften process, which which basically involves building miniatures um, uh, and r using mirrors. Uh, to create the illusion of a huge say, building, which is really a small miniature, but you you shoot a reflected um, miniature and line it up with the actual landscape, uh, and there's that. And matte paintings are effectively just the kind of illustration of, uh, and they're they're not um, super highly detailed. Uh, they're more impressionistic, often used for uh, deep background, um, and uh, they are often um, painted on glass and, and requires a very specific skill of um, painting with the understanding of how the painting is used as a backdrop uh, for photography. They're small, and again, uh, 
you kind of line up your uh, real life with the matte paintings or use it as an optical um, piece of, of kind of a, of a blending mode. That's the kind of simplest way to put it. Now, these things have gone the way of horse and buggies, but um, the creators of matte paintings probably are as shocked, horrified, and excited by AI um, <laughs> so so this very this very camera is on auction i think the initial bid is twelve thousand five hundred dollars and they expect to it to to go for like fifty thousand or something oh yeah this this will sell if if for no other environment to a museum or or, or something if no collector kind of overbids it but sure. um it looks like it looks like these i mean i don't I've only used a for bizarre filmmaking, uh, maybe an IMAX camera, but I've never used anything like this. Looks like um, these are. It's almost like three strip Technicolor. Looks like, uh, but for exposures, so much, yeah. yeah. And and mm -hmm. I and I guess there's also matte coming into play in in motion, like like um, Star Wars is a good example where they have the Tie Fighters fly in front of a building and they film that building and the Tie Fighters separately and then have a have multiple layers of things on top of each other, and that, that's probably where this would come in as well. Well, yeah. I mean, just, you know, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> fabulously interested in what, you know, my experience, but two days ago we were doing something very, very similar, old-style filmmaking, where we locked off a camera. We had a set that uh, was um, kind of a, a, a metaphor for um, an environment, um, and doors kept appearing and disappearing uh, within this environment. And uh, we had a camera locked off. We we would plug the holes, film the scene, unplug the holes and separate the plug from for a door, <laughs> refilm it, uh, then do the coverage where we, you know, it, and it was very complicated, but it was, you know, shooting the same thing over and over and then we would split screen or adopt it. So um, in the end, in someone, someone would do, would put that into, into a composite of sorts and yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll do it on the Avid initially, and then we will work with our uh, effects company to do it kind of in a much more detailed, rendered way. So Interesting. Well, can't wait to see that. Yeah, me too. Let's <laughs> 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 see if my math worked. <laughs> uh, yeah. Shouldn't we hope it did? Either, either it works out or the, the, the special effects oh, my name people is... have real work on their hands. <laughs> yeah, boom. And I do too. Right? A target fix on my it, head. Fix it in post. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, it's complicated because you do, you know, you want to save money by not doing rotoscoping, um, wherein the character walks in front of certain seams that are going to be joined. So yeah. uh, it, it requires a certain amount of um, visual skill. Anyway. Well, the tools are there. So, yeah. <sighs> I like that. That's interesting. That's that's a good piece of cinematic history, isn't it? it Both isn't technically it? Yeah. and creatively. So I like that. And by that the way, one. yeah, and these things can be used in photography absolutely uh, easily. You put a camera on a tripod and you lock it down, and you kind of, you know, you take a picture of yourself on the right of frame and the left of frame, and in the distance, and you make sure you're not overlapping, and then you just use. A Photoshop or a layering edit um, application, and you blend it, and th that's pretty much it. Except it's in motion. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very, very interesting to experiment with that. Also, just uh, you know, go out and 
shoot some landscapes and then, you know, do your own blending, you know, put a tree um, acting as a, you know, seam hider and then find another tree and blend those and expand the, uh, you know, your composition. Or just use generator fill. Just <laughs> 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 to make the one scene go, hey, fill this in. <laughs> one, one or the other, it's up to you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right, uh, second item on the list. is This is an interesting one. Um, and it comes from a source that I wasn't, well, it's, it's a very photography-related thing, even though it's also a bit of a political thing. So we're talking about FAIR.org, uh, which is a, a, let's say, a progressive organization watching for bias in media. And they've been doing this for like 30 years or so. And um, they have an article up here where they have examples where underexposure is used as a means of storytelling. So you would typically look at exposure as being a, a, something of a corrective tool, right? You have the exposure wrong, you fix it. Um, and they have, they have um, brought up a few examples here where um, some publications have <coughs> apparently deliberately taken photos and, and severely underexposed them, especially photos from countries where the sun shines nicely, where Everything is, 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 is very happy when you look at it. But in order to support um, the, the tone of an article, um, that exposure was deliberately lowered. And they have multiple examples here. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. And, and uh, again, last night, just last night, uh, I was using underexposure um, as a storytelling piece in a quite an elaborate scene. Um, we were shooting in an old abandoned church, which had fallen down, really, really kind of crumbling. Um, and there would be, it was, you know, a, quite a major scene between two characters, and, and there was no lights, no candles, no, like, you know, it had to be moonlit, basically. Uh, but these wide shots moonlit uh, through church windows. Well, what do you do? You know, we used quite bright lights through the windows. Um we, you know, filtered the light so it would be rather blue. And then we, so it, it, to the eye, it looked like sunlight pouring through the window. But then we crushed the exposure all the way down. Um, and it, it feels very, very kind of... Um, I mean, this, this, this and, and this will also in some, especially in, in sunlit environments, if you take the exposure down, I don't know, two, three stops, it'll give it a bit of a, I don't know... Uh, a bit of a, a gloomy feeling, a bit of a yeah. Like it definitely changes feeling. the t it definitely changes the the emotional response to the image, doesn't it? So, doesn't which it? I guess is I guess is the whole point of this article, right? Is it yeah. is are these things being portrayed in a fair and balanced way, or are they or are they not? And well, I mean, yeah. the, the examples on the website are, you know, yeah. are, are really good examples, actually, aren't they? Yeah, I think this is a fascinating, um, you know point of view here uh, you know if you go to uh, the bottom image of, of uh, one of the prote protesters uh, in the foreground right there um, and and you, mind, you know you you, this one uh, yeah you can use obviously exposure itself is a kind of uh, something that kind of pulls the emotion one way or another but also um, depth of field I mean this one has a kind of reasonably um, large depth of field 
to, you know, for us to be able to see the kind of foreground person and the context. But you could easily have thrown the background completely out of focus and isolated that person. Same photograph, um, which would give you a completely different emotional response. He would then feel that he may not be a part of anything, but isolated in that. And it's the same picture, but with the creative controls in the camera. Um, all, you know, everything from the kind of film, if it was shot on film, or the kind of the detail, even noise itself uh, creates an emotional response the same way that Grain did um, when we shot very fast films. So I think this um, th this could almost make it look like lots of people turned up to your inauguration, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, one, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would say one's inauguration <laughs> rather <laughs> than my. my even even so, though, sorry, these, no, your inauguration, Jeremy. No, even though these photos, I, I don't think played with exposure. They played more with camera placement because you can make things look like there are more of it by. Oh yeah, 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 different yeah. focal lengths and 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 camera. But it, yeah. it is something that happens a lot in the in the world press photography, doesn't it? Apart from the fact that you often get like you know, people called out for faking stuff and you know setting stuff up. Um, yeah. I've seen genuine winners, you know, of the world press awards with this exact trick played. Right, you know, um, uh, I remember one a few years ago. I think it was of a shot in, in, of a a funeral, but it was of you know. Um, people carrying a casket through a very busy a very narrow street it could look like it might have been somewhere i can't remember where it was i forgive me but um it, yeah looked like it, uh, it could have been in a, a very desert type town um and it was shot deliberately dark and with and with low saturation and stuff like that and and you know, i thought to myself it's not really uh, well, a press photo. Except we could challenge that, you know, writ large by saying, well, every image taken um, has a point of view. I mean, Natchway's uh, photographs, his war photographs specifically, in close, wide angle, black and white, right, right in there. That's a point of view. It, is it realistic for him to have photographed this in black and white? Arguably, very, very abstract. Um, though our cultural metaphor um, feels that it's real because we are used to the kind of iconic news reality as being black and white, you are there, etc. So I, I think that that there is no, and I think a lot of, <laughs> again, circling everything back to me, <laughs> you know, my, my artwork is very much, uh, um, you know, the, the, the kind of exploration of, of that gray zone of, of truth and fiction and, and what is an emotional response uh, or not. So I, I, I think that we're just used to applying a certain technique um, to create realism. And, and that's that's where we kind of sign off. Isn't it interesting it's that true. you chose the yeah. word realism? It's like to make it look more real, you have to be more creative, right? Uh -huh. it's, I it's think so. Yes. Like, like, you know, and we've had this discussion before about black and white photography many times, haven't we? Yeah. Just like black, mm -hmm. and black and white photography looks a little bit more like how you know, the real world looks. And it, of course, 
It's the opposite. Unless you're severely colorblind, that is just not true. <laughs> I mean, you know, Stephen Shore, uh, Martin Parr versus James Natchway, and, uh, you know, you know, name a, a black and white kind of art photographer. There are many uh, who are amazing. Um, it, it, it really, you know, there is no absolute in terms of what we consider reality in photography. It's all what we have collectively decided through, you know, maybe 150 years of, of experiencing that, of separating that. I mean, we look at a daguerreotype and go, yeah, that's, you know, that's a real person sitting there, but the <laughs> daguerreotype doesn't look real at all. It's a replica and all photographs are a replica and all techniques, whether it's exposure, choice of lens, composition, uh, certainly focus, all of that is, is you know, we, we tend to predetermine how we use that <clears throat> to ascribe reality. But, um, you know, I think, uh, ask any uh, physicist, you know, what, what's reality? <laughs> they, that you're going to give you a <laughs> that's a good a that's a good point actually yes yeah yes you know, uh, I, uh, yes I, I, yeah, you could say the, the photons you capture in your camera travel every possible route all at once between a point where they're emitted and the sensor until you look at them and then you make a decision but yeah. there you all go. right quantum photography third, third <laughs> yeah, news exactly. item last but not least here's a here's a, th a, a thing that i found noteworthy and that is that google photos claims they can now do face recognition but on people where they can't see faces so i have a question about this what if <laughs> i get street photography i guess what if i get a haircut that's my question <laughs> Well, it's so, so the, the, the story is that, um, their recognition model and fa face recognition is, uh, is normal nowadays. Like on your, on your smartphone, you have a library where you can, where you can uh, search for people and you can say, Oh, that is, that is Jack and that is Jack and that is Jack. And it learns it. And, and Google Photos does something very similar. Um, but now they say that um, you don't need the face or they don't need the face. They are going to use other things in their new AI models to um, like looking at clothes, looking at other visual indicators and hairstyle will be part of that for sure. But also um, hair color, body shape, the posture, um, even like unique accessories um, or or temporal data, as in um, the cameras often the cameras will shoot more than one picture. So if you have something like live photos enabled, you will have a, instead of a photo, it'll be a short little movie. So there are other frames in there that might give you some information, um, surrounding context, like where has it been shot? There are other people in the shot that are often in the same shot as this person. Um, so it'll use all sorts of historical and other data to try to figure out who that person is that you can't see the face of. So if you're carrying, say, a Google Pixel phone and you're photographed from the back, it will analyze where that Google Pixel phone is in the world and wow. identify that. And to, then, to the extent that you allowed it to do that, yes. It, maybe, maybe. 
Um, or, may, or maybe beyond the extent that you allowed What could it. possibly go wrong with recognizing people this, from the this, back of your head? Your Honor? This uh, is my I question. Is this wasn't scary? Me, wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. What, are you going to bring this to court and go like, you know, you can just see, you know, no, no, this is an absolute, he was there, uh, you know, robbing the bank. Here's a picture of the back of his head, right, Your Honor? Well, they, they claim it's not 100%. Know. So oh, I think oh, I it see. should be easy to to win uh, that lawsuit. I'd be surprised there. if it was 100%, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is this going to drive a new global trend for very nondescript clothing? Well, norm, that's, norm core. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my next question because, of course, of course, uh, to to thwart face recognition efforts by the authorities or whoever, um, there have been all these things with special scarves and special face makeup and hats and glasses and things to yeah to to disable these systems in some way. Um, but that will, in the end, probably mean that. Everyone is going to wear the same gray clothes in the future <laughs> if you don't want to be recognized. Oh, my. Yeah. We, you know, um, I brought two picks, so maybe we can use the LiDAR picks as a newsworthy uh, piece. You can put that up. Um. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me bring that up here. Um, this is a fascinating story. And, okay, and so we're we are seamlessly sliding over into our picks of the week. The next-gen LiDAR tech that will map the ocean floor. That's a very timely topic for, yeah, you know, for I, end of June. That's right. I, you know, I thought, you know, <laughs> since we've been all undersea obsessed um, this week by the news, sad and tragic as it is, mm -hmm. um, uh, the exploration of the ocean floor is still in its nascent stage, and uh, we know probably less about it than we do about other planets. And um, this is a um, a step towards extreme mapping, uh, highly detailed, and I think will reveal some significant things about the history of our planet. And um, you know, the, and, and there, you know, you notice just in terms of. LiDAR mapping from space, they're finding all kinds of things under the sea, like, you know, old civilizations, not talking Atlantis here, I'm just talking about, you know, um, ruins that uh, indicate that there was a city that may have dropped, sunk, or ocean rose. Um, this is going to kind of really open up uh, an entire world under the sea, and I think um, Based on that, will increase the interest in uh, oceanography and ocean exploration, despite the tragedy of this week. I think it, the technology is amazing, um, isn't it? So, uh, and yeah, I always think it's odd that we always look outwards to try and find planets in galaxies, well, maybe not galaxies far away, but solar systems far away, and yet we know so little about the ocean floor, which is what seven tenths of. Yeah, the surface of our own planet. Yeah, it's well as we as we learned this week. It is really hard to get down there, um, and only only with uh, with autonomous vehicles is it possible to do these things, including these lidar scans, because the pressures are so enormous that um, if you look at the pressures at the at the bottom of the sea and compare them with the negative pressure up in the in, in space 
up in space you have minus one atmosphere. Yeah. Under there you By have definition. hundreds, hundreds <laughs> to thousands of atmospheres. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which means pressure. you can, so it's a very you can tough survive. Yeah, you can survive in space probably for a minute. I think uh, I read somewhere, you know. Um, I, I don't <laughs> want to try anything. that. Yeah, I'm not going to no, try but, it yet. Yeah. But uh, under a the sea, while. I think it's less than uh, a millisecond. It's a tenth of a second. Right. Tenth of a millisecond. Yeah. That's fast. That's yeah. a lot All right. of let's go, let's, go, let's go to something less underwater related. <laughs> Adrian, <laughs> you brought us a, a font? Uh, yes, a font and and a <laughs> awesome. website. So I'm happy. I'm happy. I love typography. So the, uh, this, yeah, this is a, the, so it is a website called I Love Typography. Um, oh, and I did. No, the I didn't website even read is actually, that. yeah, the website. What does it is actually, feature? <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> shoes. Um, but the, the uh, so I Love Typography dot com is a website that I've just had in my RSS feed for years. And it just brings me joy because every now and again they do a blog post of a font of the month or something like that. And I just thought, you know, I'll share this little bit of typography joy that, that fills my life. Um, this particular one it, it, font is called Ray Gun and it's, it's interesting because it's sort of reminiscent of a lot of things, you know, like 1950s sci-fi, but also 1930. Yeah, so to me, it has, almost some inspiration from the art deco metropolis sci-fi stuff of the 20s 30s you know so it's got all sorts of stuff in it this particular one font and i just love these things and every now and again they pop into my rss feed i know rss feed is is old tech by these that today's standards but i, still I like think it's it. having a bit of a comeback right now but yeah you know. i still like rss feeds because it just gives you stuff to read whenever you feel like it right um, and I always it always makes me smile when I see one of these forms pop up. And and typography, I mean, it's so closely linked to photography, as in uh, to make a font, to design a font. It's like photography. It's very much about spacing, about placement, about directions, about that. That all evokes something when you look at it, and then in combination, of course, you you put photography in an article, but you also put typography in an article. So. Typography is is it, yeah very intricate, very high mm. end design, pretty much, and and provokes emotional responses. I think yes, we can we can all you know imagine you know one of those kind of joyful little Christmas chubby little fonts that are all celebrity yeah. uh, or celebration oriented. If that's a word, probably not. Anyway, uh, but uh, you know, if you had a headline of you know. Putin attacks Ukraine with that, that font. It would it certainly uh, have a very kind of mixed message here, right? Um, yeah, and, and it's, I mean, you you will notice this when you produce, everyone who produces things in, in the media in one way or another, be it a zine, be it a movie, sure. be it, uh, I don't know, website, mixing... Titles, main titles. Titles, titles in a movie, uh, titles in a zine. Um, the, the music in the movie, it, all this evokes each and every part of this puzzle evokes an emotion. And, uh, you, I would, I would dare you to use Comic Sans on your next uh, season of Reginald <laughs> as the titles. <laughs> that would certainly evoke a different emotion than totally different. you currently have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, I brought one. And so let's, let's go down the nerd lane here for a second again, because, um, if you look at the physics of how a camera works, then you'll have light rays, you have, I don't know, either a pinhole or a lens, and then you'll have a medium that this gets captured on and that it, it gets, it gets put into some form that you can then look at look at it um here's someone who used blender have you has any one of you ever worked with blender blender is like a 3d nope. uh program where you can make animations and very intricate things mm. and blender has become so good that you can um simulate the physics of light in it now so okay. someone someone has has made a video where uh, where they where they show how to build a camera in Blender, as in a physically correct camera. And he starts with a pinhole camera and sends light rays through it, and then he he changes the sample amount to make it work in that context, and then um, he ends up with like several layers of like in a film to to collect the light that comes in. It's it's so amazing what is possible these days. And then the results are um, very film-like photos um, with the right amount of like overexposure, bloom, depth of field, bokeh, and so on. But it's all a physical uh, simulation in Blender, which is an open source program. So you don't yeah, even have to... It's completely free. And yeah, uh, Unreal Engine, which is kind of a call it a cousin sister uh, of, of this, which is I'm, I'm more familiar with. But um, these, these are absolutely dazzling. And, you know, photogrammetry applications, which, you know, kind of creating the opportunity here to put textures, whatever tech to create your own textures and apply them to, um, you know, to your uh, construct. Also, you know, light, um, you know, people uh, are producing marketplaces of quality of light. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. it becomes effectively another thing to plug in, which is, you know, hard sunlight, soft sunlight. You can ad address the source, how wide. All of these things to light a 3D image. Um, and, you know, you start to uh, use something like Luma Labs, creating NERFs, uh, putting that integrating that with blender certainly um a lot of the new ai uh, technology will allow the creation of obj's you know the, the kind of um, file samples that that allow you to kind of integrate these things and um you know the possibilities are are dazzling and we're only in really early nascent stages of, of this technology i mean we're not even at the toddler um you know, element here in terms of the development um, on every level. And and I think that um, for creators, this is going to be, you know, the, the next decade is going to be absolutely exciting, fascinating. Um, and of course, you know, all of the associated crazy cultural conflicts <laughs> that result in disruption uh, will follow.
Can, can I ask a, a, a really basic question on this then? So, so fantastic that you can model a, a, the real physics of light and a camera in, in Blender. Presumably, you also have to build the, your subjects, do you, and the sets yes, and the scenes that they sit in? Okay, all right. That, so, that person built lenses, like built the lens geometry and, and, uh, and lenses as in the, the housings around them with movable <laughs> rings that would then close <laughs> and open the aperture in that virtual thing and of course you are taking photos of virtual things as well so so you could so, so okay so does that then become like an asset that somebody else could pick up and use yeah, oh, yeah you, you yeah, could buy sure. you could buy your virtual if you were if you were filming a movie entirely in blender yeah you, i, you I could, don't think it's fast because in order to make it work they have to like render, crank yeah. crank up the samples uh, really high so that uh, that it becomes kind of uh, physically yeah. correct i know. mean you guys have heard of octane render for example you know th these these are right. massive uh, compute power that that will translate what you have created in a kind of a rough mode into something photographically you know sharp um, but that, you know, you have to do that frame by frame. I mean, it's not impossible to do, but currently even the, the new M2 chips, which are designed to process and render quite fast are, you know, they're, they're very, very slow. That's why I say that in the next 10 years as compute power will grow, make faster. And, and as kind of, uh, these are also very big files, um, that as the, the kind of hardware becomes more sophisticated and the software becomes more sophisticated, uh, we'll be able to do things on our new smartphones or our Google Glass or our Apple um, Glass that, 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 you know, basically, you know, we'll look back at these days and think, oh, that's, this is all cute. It's like, the old, remember the old RSS feeds? <laughs> so I so do. This, I use them a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this, so this blender thing, I think, is more more of an exercise in what can I do if I'm really bored, and, uh, <laughs> because you will get yeah. very similar results based on. I the think you need to be more than bored. I think you also need to be quite clever, and you know, and quite skilled yeah. in using the tools as well. I think, yeah, and yes. Having, this, having, this having spent, this, yeah, go ahead. There's more, more, more passion and effort and nerdiness in that than there is boredom, I think. So. For yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. Having spent time in, in the kind of photo, photographing subjects in virtual world, as I have for several years, um, I, I so appreciate uh, what um, the, these, they're artists, they're coders, they're, you know, really interesting I think they explore what is possible in Blender, like just how much of our visual field, uh, the way we, we kind of process visual information uh, in terms of light, emotion, all of those things, and how do we create that uh, mathematically? Um, because it's, what we're seeing is math, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit akin to. Have you seen these examples of Minecraft where people have built entire computers and RGB displays in Minecraft using Minecraft as a processor? Um, it's wow. yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> we have one bonus pick, and uh, that one <clears throat> I. 
Jeremiah, <laughs> is it is it fair to say that's a shopping recommendation? <laughs> it's more of irony, uh, you know, having been uh, obsessed with uh, what we, you know, oceanography and underwater. I, I just could not, I could not resist bringing this uh, as one of the more impractical things uh, that uh, even wealthy uh, Leica-owning uh, divers uh, should have. This is a underwater housing uh, at you know, seven thousand dollars, and by the way, sold out the first run, completely sold out, which is wow. shocking. I think um, I think they only make like ten of them in a run. Probably, I was going to say that. But Not still, about, people seem to have the money for it. Yeah, I think this exists as um, uh, as a you know, here it is, designed with intention. Yeah, uh, I think that the the you know, my my feeling is that the designers of this sad uh, oceanography vessel exploratory vessel should have taken a little bit of of a, a beat from something that seems so completely over engineered as to be beautiful in its construct never mind its practicality uh way overpriced um i mean for practical purposes i don't know what the i don't know if it's priced because it's made by hand or you know uh, you know it takes ten thousand hours to build or if it's, no, it's a, priced because of the people they're aiming the light at, up, it's, 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 yes it's market pricing so but i i just thought there was a little bit of irony in this pick um as something that is probably built to withstand quite a lot so, of pressure well it, look, it looks lovely to... and if i had a leica m range finder um I wouldn't buy an underwater housing for it. Leica M. No, let's, let's just say I that Leica M cameras are not supposed to go underwater and leave it at that. As, as the the lucky owner of of several uh, M2, uh, an M6, and a monochrome, I would never, I would never put that underwater. I mean, no matter and this how one, expensive the housing was, with more than the camera cost. And and as over as as over engineered as it looks, this one goes only to three hundred and thirty feet. There you go, and that's sort of the point that I was making. You you build something so powerful for three hundred feet. You know, imagine to carry people at you know a couple of miles down. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be scared that my expensive Leica that I don't know falls out of my hand and disappears down the abyss forever. Because it looks pretty heavy. It does. Yeah, it's not going to float, is it? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not like when float. I have my little waterproof camera and I put a wrist strap on it that's got a flotation device on it, yeah, and you throw it in the sea know, and it just floats. That that one's simple, going straight to the bottom, isn't it? Or if it's tethered to you, it's going to pull you down. Yeah, I, that's I, a good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, but a whoops would mean you know maybe. Fifteen twenty thousand dollars just drifting away. Yeah, but then if you, you know, if you if you can if you can afford this kind of a housing and the Leica inside and the lens inside, then you can afford the second one and the third one. <laughs> you can the afford the whoops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the whoops shouldn't be an issue. You'd, you'd not probably to mention, have someone to dive after it. Right, not to mention your yacht, <laughs> which is yes, up top. There we go. Anyway. That was it for this week's newsreel. Um, we are online at thefuturephotography.com and you can find us uh, yeah, wherever you find podcasts. Go subscribe and uh, come back next week where we will talk about, well, I have no idea, but probably <laughs> be maybe, maybe something yeah. analog. Maybe have heard Very some analog. whispers. We're, gonna, we're deep analog next week. All right. Until next time, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.
been listening to The Future of Photography. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Thank you.